0: Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Go with me today to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You'll notice that we're going back to the passage that we uh, spent a lot of time in last Sunday. And, uh, you know, I I won't have time to say everything that I said last Sunday because we want to go further, but, you know, when you you start delving a little bit deeper into the Word of God, and we talked about that that last week, that the Bible talks about the difference between the milk of the Word and the meat of the Word. We, heard, we read that over in Hebrews chapter five and chapter six. And, and, and the writer of Hebrews said, leaving the fundamental, the basics, uh, the rudimentary elements of Christ, let us go on to maturity. And so, you know, whenever you start going a little bit deeper in the word of God, <clears throat> most of the church just lives on milk. Said so most of the church lives on milk. Most of the preaching is milk because people don't wanna be controversial. And so when you begin to go a little bit deeper into the word of God, sometimes it will sound like you're trampling on certain doctrines, certain established truths, certain things that are fundamental and it's because people don't really think. And so I have the habit of always going back or trying to go back and always cast everything in balance and say, now I'm I'm saying this, but I'm not saying these other two or three things. But you know, you you just can't, Uh, preach an omnibus message every time you get up and preach. You just can't just cover everything in the Bible and put everything in balance. And so that's why you need to come every week. Amen. You need to be here every Sunday. I do series of, I don't really sermonize. I don't preach a three-point sermon point one point two point three in conclusion and then a benediction that's not the way I minister and so I minister by teaching the Word of God in series and every every lesson is built on the previous lesson and if you're not here on a regular basis you miss out on a lot and and then I'm not able to go back and cover everything and if you're not and if you're not careful if you're not diligent to go back during the week and listen to the messages that you missed go online and listen to them uh, sometimes you can get the wrong conclusion uh, But you know, whose fault is that? Amen. Amen. It's not my fault. Amen. Amen. Because like I said, I just can't cover, you know, in in any message, everything that needs to be said about a subject. And so we're going a little bit uh, further and a little bit deeper into the word of God and in uh, the areas of our authority in Christ. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we talked about this last week, and I just want to pick up on a couple of thoughts here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 6, he said, however... We speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. Notice he's talking about the wisdom of God and the wisdom of this age or of this world. And he's taught that the wisdom of God is different than the wisdom of this world. Amen. And then he goes on to say in verse seven, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery the hidden wisdom which god ordained before the ages for our glory which none of the rulers of this age knew for had they known they would not have crucified the lord of glory and again we're not he's not talking about the civil rulers of this age he's not talking about the roman empire and the, the emperor and the governors and the and and so forth that's not what he's talking about he's talking about the spiritual rulers of this age and we pointed that out last week and showed you the scriptures that 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 uh, illustrated that. And he said that the rulers of this age, none of them knew this wisdom. The reason they didn't know it is because it was and is hidden from them. He calls it the wisdom of God. He calls it a hidden wisdom, but it's not hidden from us. It's hidden from the world. It's hidden from uh, the rulers of the darkness of this world. And it's hidden from those who, who live in darkness, but it's hidden for us. See, the word mystery there uh, comes from the Greek word mysterion, and it is the word that we derive our English word mystery from. But in the English, the word mystery has the connotation of knowledge withheld. But the, but the, the Greek word that's translated myster, uh, mystery, this word mysterion, it's, it's wisdom or information that is withheld, but it's revealed to those who are initiated. We talked about the, uh, the, uh, the cults that existed in Bible times, the secret societies, and how they had their mysteries and the only way you could uh, uh, gain the knowledge of, of those, of those secret societies was to be initiated into those societies. And when you were initiated in whatever the, the, the ceremony or the rite that you went through a, a passage of initiation, then you were given the secrets of that society. Well, the Holy Spirit chose that word that applied the, those secret societies and used it in the New Testament to show that God has secrets preserved and hidden for the church. They're not hidden from us, they're hidden for us and they're revealed in the New Testament. But even though they're revealed in the New Testament, you still have to have the Holy Spirit in order to understand them. We go on reading there, he he brings that out. He said the rulers, verse eight, none of the rulers of this age for had they known they would not have crucified the Lord of glory as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But, God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deeper things of God. And so these things have been have been given uh, to the church. These, the, the, the wisdom that he's talking about here belongs to every born-again Christian. The new birth is the initiation into the body of Christ, into the family of God. That's how you pass out of darkness and into light by being born again, by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and in his death, burial, and resurrection, confessing him as Lord, as your savior. When, that, when a person does that from his heart, he is born again and he comes into the family of God and into relationship with God. And then because he is of God now, then there are things that belong to that believer that didn't belong to him before. And there is wisdom and understanding about what we have, who we are, what belongs to us in Christ that is available to us. And and everything contained in the mystery is the present tense uh, possession of every believer. But not every believer knows about it because you have to have the Holy Spirit reveal it to you. Now, it's not when we talk about the Holy Spirit revealing it, we're not talking about some kind of revelation out here outside of the Word of God. Anytime the Holy Spirit brings revelation, it's gonna be in line with the Word. The primary way the Holy Spirit reveals things is by revealing His Word. And when He reveals the Word of God, understanding from the Word by the Spirit comes, and then you begin to see how that Word applies in your life and how you can walk in it what it means to you, what's available to you, amen? And so the thing that I wanted you to see from this that we pointed out last week, he said in verse number six, in verse number seven, six and seven, he said, we speak the wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Now, the way that's written in the King James it would suggest that it's something that is yet to happen, that the rulers of this age, talking about the principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world, that they are in the process of coming to nothing. This word simply means to be put to naught. To be, other translations refer to these rulers as the dethroned rulers. That's a present tense reality. And we talked about that last week. We'll we'll get into a little bit more of it today as as we go further. The the rulers of the darkness of this world have been dethroned. Okay, so so don't let that, uh, that language there that they are coming to nothing lead you to think that it's yet to happen. It has happened. Amen, and of course there is, there is more to come because there is coming the day when Jesus will take the devil and bind him in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. That day hasn't come. And, and he is still alive and present in the earth. He is still the God of this world. Demons are still present. So they, they are free in, in a sense to continue to hold people in darkness if people haven't heard the truth. But where believers are concerned, they've been stripped of all of their rights and all of them, I'm talking about the devil and his cohorts, have been stripped of all of their rights and all of their ability. The devil has no power over you as a Christian. So he has been been dethroned. We said last week, the word dethroned, it it gives the idea of to remove someone from a place of high position, a place of high stature or office or or, or dominion and to remove them and to take them down. Well, that's what Jesus did. He removed the devil from his high place of of rulership uh, over the realm of hell and of darkness and death. And so, but I'm getting getting beyond what I want to talk about here. Let's go on verse number seven. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which was ordained before the ages for our glory. This is the thing I want you to see. God ordained, God planned, God put in motion the wisdom that he's trying to get across to us, this hidden wisdom that is not obvious to people outside of Christ. He ordained it for our glory. Now, I talked about the fact, go with me over to uh, Hebrews chapter two. This is, this is something that seems to go cross grain to a lot of traditional thinking. And again, it, it's only because people don't look at both sides of an issue. One of the biggest problems of the church is we have certain doctrines that they're true all right, but we only look at them from one vantage point, from one, we see one side. And then if someone presents another side to it, that sounds like it contradicts, and then it throws everybody into a tailspin. I use this illustration a lot. How many of you have ever been to Atlanta, Georgia, and have been to Stone Mountain? Anybody ever been to Stone Mountain? If you look at Stone Mountain from the from the uh, visitor side, where all of the are the the uh, Confederate uh, carvings and all are, and the train that goes up. If you look at that mountain from one side, you would, and, and if you were asked to write. A, you know, freelance, you know, just write a description of that mountain, you would describe it one way. If you come up the mountain from the other side, which I've done, I've hiked to the top of that mountain. From the other side, if you read the description of someone looking at the face of the mountain where, where all of the tourists go, and you're hiking up the other side, you say, this is not the same mountain. This could not be the same mountain. The two do not even resemble one another, except that they're both granite. They look entirely different. Well, Bible truths are that way. And, and sometimes, like I said, one of the big problems of the church is we only look at certain truths from one side. There's another side. And, and if you don't have them in balance and understand how the two sides work together, you can, you can become alarmed and think, well, the preacher's preaching something that's contrary to what I know to be true. No, it's, the, it's just another side to it. Now, here's, and here's what I'm talking about. It says that God ordained this wisdom that he's trying to get across to the church. He ordained this wisdom for our glory. Have you found Hebrews chapter two? Now I'm reading from the sixth verse and this is a direct quote from the eighth Psalm. You don't have to turn there, but if you turn to the eighth Psalm, you would see the same passage and he's quoting the eighth Psalm. And he says in verse Hebrews 2, 6, he says, but one testified in a certain place, that's, that's David testified in the book of Psalms, saying, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you take care of him? So he's talking about mankind. Do you see that? What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. Now notice, you have crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. Who is he talking about? Man. Who is he talking about? Man. did, Did you read it? What is man that you are mindful of him? You crowned him, mankind, with glory and honor, and you put all things in subjection under man's feet. Okay? Now, we know that in the fall, that is in the rebellion in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, when they disobeyed God's commandment, in effect, they turned their back on God and obeyed the devil, and the, and, beca- and the devil became their Lord. The Bible says in the, that whatever you choose to worship becomes your master. Whatever you, That's not the right word. Whatever, whoever you choose to obey becomes your Lord and master. Well, when Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed God, they turned and yielded to the devil and listened to him and did what he said. The devil became their master, And mankind through Adam and Eve fell and lost the glory that God had given mankind. Lost the honor. Notice it said you crowned him with glory and honor. Mankind lost that in the fall. Jesus came back to restore man's glory. Now listen to me real carefully because people, this is where people get crossed up. I'm not talking about the glory that belongs to God alone. We know that God deserves all of the glory as God. The Bible says even that Jesus created all things. All things were created by Jesus. This His name wasn't Jesus at the time. That was his name given to him in Bethlehem, but All things were created by the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. All things, the Bible says, in heaven and in earth, thrones, dominions, every rulership, everything was created by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that all things exist for his honor. But that's talking about Jesus, that's talking about the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity in his divinity. You understand that Jesus existed with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit from before time. There is no beginning. I say, how can you explain that? I can't explain it. Neither can anybody else. And If you find somebody else that says they can explain it, they're fooling you. Because you can't explain it. How can you explain uh, the uh, eternity? You can't explain it. We just know that the Bible says that God always has been. I, I I don't even, I don't know how it's possible. I just believe it. And Jesus always has been. He is God the Son. Just like there's God the Father, there's God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We call that the Trinity. And in that sense, There is glory that belongs to God only. But this isn't talking about the same glory. This is the glory that God gave man. Did he give, did he crown man with glory and honor? Do you see that in the Bible? It's not only in Hebrews, it's in the eighth chapter of the Psalms. Isn't that right? And then going back to to 1 Corinthians 2 again, we have the same information We speak, verse number seven says, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. God intended through Christ to restore the glory that he had for man. Now the way he did that is Jesus became a man. It's not taking away from his divinity. He is God. He was always God. But the book of of Philippians explains to us how that works. It says that, that Jesus humbled himself and emptied himself. That is, he laid aside all of his rights and privileges as God. He didn't cease to be God, but he laid aside his rights as God and was born of a woman came into this earth as a little baby, grew up as a baby and an infant and a toddler and a, and a child and a teenager and a young man and an adult man. He grew up here as a man. And the Bible says that, that in all points, he had to be made like unto his brethren, yet without sin. It's the only difference between Jesus and any other man is that Jesus was without sin, but in every other way, Jesus was fully a man. Now, how could he be God and man? It's another thing that nobody can explain. The Bible just teaches us that. There is one mediator between God and men: the, God, the man, Christ Jesus. He was a man, and everything he did in redemption, he did as a man. Because man is who needed redemption. Okay? You think about it, over in Acts chapter uh, 10, it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Well, how can you anoint God? I mean, that couldn't be talking about his divinity, couldn't be talking about him as God, because how are you gonna anoint God? God's already anointed. Jesus as God wouldn't need to be anointed, but Jesus of Nazareth, see, like Ray of, of, of where are you from? Keystone. You know, that right away we know he's not from heaven because he's from Keystone. All <laughs> right. Jesus of Nazareth. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth as as Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus had to be anointed. He had to to receive an anointing from the Spirit of God in order to do what he did because he was just a man in his his humanity. I use this illustration a lot of times about my son and me. Pastor Greg is my son. He is also an employee. He is also an associate pastor. As an associate pastor, he, he has a role that he plays and a position that he's in that's different from being my son. He doesn't cease to be my son, but he serves in a different capacity in the church than just as a son. He serves as an associate pastor, someone under me as an employee, and, and we relate to one another differently in those two relationships. Sometimes I come by his office or I pick up the phone and I buzz him and I say, what's the status of such and such? Give me a report. What are you doing? What, you know, have you called so and so? Well, you know, what's going on? He'll give me a report. And I say, well, I want this done by the end of the week. I'm not talking to him as my son. I'm talking to him as associate pastor. But then I might come into the office later in the day and say, by the way, your mom made some, uh, uh, some rice and, and chicken and rice and she brought me a bowl of, would you like some of it? or or you can come over to the house on the way home from work and pick up some chicken and dumplings would you like that his answer is always yes i'm not talking to him then as an employee i'm talking to him as my son well god jesus was god but he was also a man and in redemption he did what he did as a man in order to redeem man it says he that god ordained This wisdom that we're talking about, this information, these facts, these redemptive realities, God ordained them before the ages for our glory. Oh, glory to God. And, And God reveals them to us, verse number 10, through his spirit. Now let's go back over to Hebrews 2 again. Hebrews 2. If you go over to verse 17, you'll see the verse that I referred to. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren. Do you see that? That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the, pe- for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is also able to aid those who are being tempted. Amen. Amen. And then in, in chapter four, since we're right here close, chapter four, Hebrews four, verse 15 says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Thank God we have a high priest who experienced everything we experienced, but he never sinned. Glory to God. And because of that, he is a faithful High priest, glory to God. So go back to chapter two, verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Now we pointed out last week, I don't have time to go into all, all of it. When it says he, that he might destroy him who had the power of death, that means that he might render him powerless. That other translation says that he might crush him, that he might paralyze him. The devil is still here, but his power over the Christian has been paralyzed. He has been dethroned where believers are concerned. Notice it says that through death, he might destroy him or defeat him or bring him down who had the power of death the devil had the devil controlled satan controlled the realm of spiritual death before jesus came every person born into this earth eventually sinned and consciously and suffered spiritual death and there was no way out you couldn't be good enough. You couldn't try hard enough. You couldn't, you, there was just nothing you could do to get out from under spiritual death. Jesus came and though he wasn't guilty of anything deserving of death, we're talking about spiritual death, not just physical death, he yielded to death and and by doing that, he accomplished a great victory and he, 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 rendered inoperative, he, he said it not, the devil in his ability to control death. He took the power of death away from the devil. And that simply means that spiritual death is no longer a prison house with no doors. Jesus, when in, in the book of Revelation, he said, I am he who, who, am al- who was alive and yet I was dead and I'm alive again forevermore. He said, and I have the keys, excuse me, the keys of hell and of death. Jesus took those keys from the devil when he defeated him and he unlocked death and hell. Now I'm not saying that, I I thought about this after last Sunday. When I'm saying he's unlocked hell, I'm not saying people in hell can come out. You only make the decision, you're only able to make the decision to be free from spiritual death and hell in this life. See, if you choose to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in this life, you'll step right out of spiritual death into eternal life. And because of that, hell will never be an option for you again. It'll be behind you. I mean, you would have to completely turn your back on God and renounce Christ. But if a Christian chooses to believe God and and to walk with God... Death, he is is eternally delivered from death and hell. So you can do that now. Now, when someone leaves this life, if you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life by the time you leave here, when you get beyond this life, you can't make that choice. And in that case, it's not the devil that caused it, you caused it. You did it yourself. It was your choice to reject the gospel. The devil didn't strong arm you or make you or prevent you from believing God. You made a choice not to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so even in that capacity, the devil doesn't have authority over hell and death. You put yourself there yourself. Isn't that right? You put yourself there. Glory to God. Now, go over with me to Colossians chapter two. Colossians chapter two. Hallelujah. We said that Jesus in, in uh, let's uh, go ahead and turn to Colossians 2 and hold your place and go over to Revelation chapter one so we can we refer to this, but we need to look at it and actually read it, what Jesus said. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen. And I have the keys of hell, that's Haiti, that's that's hell. I have the keys of hell and of death. Well, where did he get those keys? How did he get them? It's obvious that it's something he didn't have. It's it's obvious that it's something that he acquired. And notice he puts it in the connotation here or in the context rather that I was dead, but now I'm alive and I have the keys of hell and of death. When did he get those keys? It happened during his death, burial, and resurrection. Sometime before the time he was raised from the dead, he got those keys back. From the devil, he got the, he got the authority. That's what keys represent, they represent authority. So when did he do it? He did it when he defeated the enemy and he did that through the cross, through his suffering, through his, his interment in, in hell for three days and three nights and when he was quickened and made alive and came out of the grave during that time, he defeated the devil and took hell and death's authority away from him. Now, let's look at it in in Colossians chapter two. Colossians chapter two. Let's start just so that we get the context going good here. Let's start in verse number 11. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, that is with Christ, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now notice verse 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. The older King James says he spoiled principalities and powers. The New King James King James says he disarmed principalities and powers. What what does it mean to disarm someone? It means you you take their arms from them. Remember when Jesus was talking about, uh, you know, they accused Jesus as as uh, casting out devils by Beelzebub, the prince of the devil, devils, and Jesus gave this this parable. He said, when a strong man guards his palace, all of his goods are secure. I'm paraphrasing here, it's not word for word. He said, all of his goods are safe and they're all good. And he's got everything locked down. But then he said, but when a stronger man comes, someone stronger than him comes, he takes away everything he trusted in, spoils everything he has, and divides his spoils with the others. Well, who do you think the stronger man is in that, in that parable? It's Jesus. Jesus came, the devil was a strong man in that he had the authority of death and he controlled all who were in its grip. But a stronger man came. Oh, glory to God. I said last week when, when, when the devil appeared to Jesus during the, the 40 days of temptation, he took him up, you know, on a, on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And the, I'm telling you what, my wife, she broke my Bible. This is my 26 translations paperback and she's been using this a lot. And I hadn't picked it up in a while and I picked it up this morning, and it was cracked and now it just broke on me. And then she bought herself a new one and left this one on my shelf. <laughs> Broke my Bible. I'm rightly dividing the word here this morning. I think the verses I'm gonna look at are in this part. <laughs> Hallelujah. When, when, when the devil appeared to Jesus, and offered him the kingdoms of this world in all their glory. People not understanding the Bible, I've read it in multiple commentaries, not just one. And they say something to the effect that Satan was offering Jesus something that was not his to offer and something that already belonged to Jesus. It's not true, that's not true. When Satan, and Satan said, for this has been delivered to me and I give this to whomsoever I choose. So these commentators said, well, Satan lied and it wasn't his to give and all that belonged to Jesus. No. Now it belonged to Jesus in the sense of being God, but Jesus wasn't tempted as God. He was tempted as a man. And as a man... It did not belong to him because Satan had that authority. Adam gave it to him when he bowed his knee to him and obeyed him, he turned over the authority and the dominion of this earth to the devil and it was the devil's. Because if it hadn't have been the devil's, Jesus would have known it and he would have called him on it. But he didn't. And if he knew it and he didn't call him on it and it presents to us as though it's true, then Jesus is a partner to a lie. No, that's not the case. It was the devil's possession and it was his to give, but Jesus didn't fall for that, for that temptation. He said, no, because the devil said, if you'll fall down and worship me, all of this will be yours. Jesus said, no, it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. I don't know what Jesus was thinking, but I have a pretty good idea what he was thinking. He was thinking, I'm gonna take it from you. You're not gonna give me that authority. I'm coming to get it. I'm not going to bow down and worship you and have you give me something. I'm going to come and through death, I'm going to submit to spiritual death and I'm going to take that from you. And that's what he did. Hallelujah. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Like I said, the older King James says that he uh, 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 spoiled principalities and powers. To understand that, you have to understand a little bit about how that word was used in the 1611 translation when the older King James, the original King James was translated, it used the English word spoiled. And it was a reference to what happened in olden days, in Bible days and even in medieval times when a king would come against another king, one kingdom would come against another kingdom, the king that prevailed would totally destroy the leaders of the other kingdom. But oftentimes they would keep the captured king and maybe some other prominent officials and they would bring them into the conquered kingdom's uh, capital city, the chief city where the palace was. And they would ride ride in as the conquering army. And the king, the the, the conquering king would lead the way. But before him, walking in chains bound, in in awful shame, would walk the deposed king. The king that had been defeated. And And the victorious king would march that defeated king all up and down the streets of his hometown or of his capital city where his throne and his, and his uh, palace was and, and just lead him an open shame. And he did that for several reasons. He did that once, first of all, to humiliate that defeated king, to just, to just absolutely rub his nose in it, so to speak, just to humiliate him. Sometimes they would even go so far as, as these, after they did that, the, the conquering king would take that uh, defeated king and publicly execute him, cut his head off and put his head on a pole and maybe his body on another pole and parade his carcass through the streets of that kingdom. And what was that designed to do? That was designed to, to instill terror in all of the subjects of that kingdom, they realize your leader is gone. The one you trusted in has been defeated. He can't do anything for you, he can't deliver you, he can't help you. You are now my subjects. So that's, that's what it meant to spoil an enemy. It says here that Jesus, having spoiled principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it, it being the cross. In other words, the the redemptive plan of God, the death, burial, and resurrection, he triumphed over the devil, over evil spirits, over the whole realm of darkness, and and made a public spectacle of the whole thing. Glory to God. Let me read this in some different translations. The Conterbury's translation says, and he disarmed the principalities and powers. Now, one one translation or one of these might say, he stripped, you'll see that sometimes certain translations, he stripped principalities and powers. And and there's a twofold application of that. Some of these translations bring out the idea that the enemy, that Satan and his cohorts were arrayed against Jesus in his death and burial, that they they had him, that they had hold of him and he stripped them off from himself. See, when Jesus submitted to death, he submitted to darkness He he became, the Bible says he became sin. And as a sacrifice for sin, little did the devil know what was actually happening. The devil took Jesus in in his death on the cross as as a sacrifice for sin. The devil took possession of him. I'm talking about the man, Christ Jesus. I'm not talking about him as God talking about him as the man, Christ Jesus. The devil took possession of, I don't mean he possessed him, I'm not, that's not what I mean, took control of him. And Jesus suffered subjugation to the devil. But when the penalty for our sins was paid, I, I, when I get to heaven, I want a replay of this. Something happened when the penalty for my sin and your sin was paid, there came a voice, a flash, a shout from glory from somewhere that shook the caverns of hell, just shook it. And Jesus was suddenly made alive. And when he was made alive, he just cast off all of those principles, just threw them off as worthless things. They fell away, completely discarded in fear and terror. And he became Jesus Christ, the righteous. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, So he not only stripped them off from himself, he stripped them of their authority, stripped them of their power, stripped them of their hold over mankind. Glory to God. The 20th century translation says he rid himself of all the powers of evil. Weymouth's translation says and the the hostile princes and rulers he stripped off from himself. The Knox translation says and the dominions and powers he robbed of their prey. The Phillips translation says and then I'm gonna hold that one because there's another part to that. The New English Bible says on the cross he discarded the cosmic powers and authorities. And then the second part of this verse where it says, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Rotherham's translation says, he made of them an open example, celebrating a triumph over them thereby. Conabury's translation says, and he put them to open shame, leading them captive in the triumph of Christ. And the 20th century says he held them up to open contempt when he celebrated his triumph over them on the cross. The Williams translation said he made a public display of them, triumphing triumphing over them. And then the Phillips translation, reading both parts of that, says having drawn the sting of all the powers ranged against us, He exposed them shattered, empty, and defeated in his final glorious triumphant act. Hallelujah. He made a public example in three worlds, heaven, hell, and earth. Every realm saw it. The devil knew that day that he had lost everything that he trusted in. Everything that he thought was his was taken from him. All of his authority over mankind was stripped away and taken. Every demon spirit, every every operation of the devil that would try to hold you in bondage over anything witnessed what we're talking about. The devil witnessed it. Every evil spirit witnessed it. They saw it. They were there. They were present. Glory to God. He celebrated his triumph over them. Yes. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Go with me to uh, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. Go to the second chapter. Whoo, glory. 2 Corinthians, chapter 2. Verse 14, hallelujah. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. See, what you need to understand is, we know because we even read it in Colossians this morning, but we see it in Ephesians, we see it in other places, Romans. We see the fact that when you were born again, you were placed, I don't know how this works, I just know it's true. You were made a part of Christ. You became in Christ. You were joined to Christ. Christ is the head, we are the body. The head and the body are one. We're, we're, we're in Christ, we're in union with Christ. But we, just, we weren't just placed into Christ in the present sense that The church existed and then you were just, you know, in 1965 were placed into Christ. It might have happened on the calendar on our end at that day, but we were placed into him in his death. Remember that? Paul said, I was crucified with Christ. Well, Paul Paul wasn't even a believer. When Jesus was crucified, Jesus, Jesus was crucified and there were two other thieves up there with him, but Paul wasn't one of them. What's he talking about? He was pla- when, when a believer is born again, you're placed into Christ and you participate in his death. You were crucified with him. You suffered with him. You were made alive with him. You were raised with him. When he ascended into heaven, you sat down with him. So we were all placed into Christ because, again, what he did, he didn't do for himself. He did for us. I was the one, you were the one that needed to be delivered. You were the one, I was the one who deserved the cross. You and I deserved hell. You and I deserved death. Through redemption, you were placed into his substitutionary work on the cross. You were crucified with him, you died with him in the mind of God. You didn't just share in that, you participated in that. So well, how can that be? I wasn't born until 1960. That, that, we're talking about eternal things here. Not talking about things that, that pertain to the physical world. I don't know how it be. I don't know how it is, I just know it is. Because the Bible says I was crucified with Christ, that I died with him, that I was raised with him. And I was made alive with him, isn't that right? You remember that in Ephesians? You being dead in your trespasses and sins were made alive together with him. That means that when Jesus stripped off principalities and power, when he defeated them, we were right there. We were right there. Glory to God. That's what it means when it says that he leads us in triumph. Glory to God. He did that for me. He did that for you. And the devil knows it. The devil knows that you are his absolute conqueror you are the devil's absolute master I'm telling you the devil is afraid of you he knows that you were in Christ by virtue of the new birth you came into Christ and he knows that what Jesus did you did in him Now we know Jesus is the one that gets the glory and the honor. I'm not saying that, but we were placed into that, and the devil knows that you are his master. The thing is, when you know it, when you know it, that's when, that's when the end, that's when the 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 end of sickness and defeat and failure and and fear and oppression, that's that's the day that comes to the end, is when you know it when you know that you are the devil's absolute master through Christ, through Christ. The devil has no authority. He has no right. He has no power. He has nothing in you because you have been delivered from the authority of darkness and placed into the kingdom of the son of his love. Hallelujah. This is the wisdom of God that God ordained, this hidden wisdom that God ordained before the ages for our glory to bring man back to that place of honor and glory, not God's honor and glory, the glory and honor that God crowned man with, God intended through Christ, and Jesus, the man, got that back. In, the, in Hebrews, it says, in bringing many sons to glory. He was crowned with glory and honor that he might bring many sons to glory and honor. Glory to God. And you see, when you know that, when you know it, when, you re- when it really dawns on you, and you're not gonna get it by just listening to one sermon, you're gonna, it's gonna dawn on your spirit when you feed on these scriptures. And you read them and you read them and you meditate and you pray in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Spirit is so important to to make your spirit man uh, uh, yielded and, and submitted to the Holy Ghost so the Spirit of God can reveal truth to you. When you see that, the very next time the devil starts anything in your life, I mean, just a little sniffle tries to hit you. You said, no, sir, no, uh-uh, no, I am not having that because Jesus delivered me. Listen, go to Romans chapter six, Romans six, and I'll, I'll try to close here. You notice I didn't promise, Romans six. Verse 12 says, let's start in verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God for sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under law but under grace. He said, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it. Reckon yourselves to be dead to sin. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Now, he's talking about sin here, and and, and we 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 need to identify that. He's talking about sin. As a Christian, you have been delivered from sin. Sin has no right to dominate your life. So, well, pastor, I struggle with some areas. You struggle because you don't see the truth. That's why you struggle with certain sins is because this isn't, what I just read isn't alive to you yet. When this this becomes alive to you, when you see, like in verse seven says, for he who has died has been freed from sin. When you realize that you died with Christ and that you've been freed from sin, when temptation comes, you'll say, no, no. I'm free from that. Those old habits, the reason you're still struggling with those habits is you haven't seen this yet. Now, you might know it up here, you might have read it, you know, but when it becomes alive to you, you'll say, No, you don't. No, you don't. I'm not yielding to that. I'm not giving in to that sin. Not again. I've been freed. Well, sin, where does sin come from? From the devil. Isn't the Satan the author of sin? Well, sin is, 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 a, is a, a, a result of, of the devil. It's the devil's work. You could say this, the devil will not have dominion over you. Verse 14, for the devil shall not have dominion over you. Sin shall not have dominion over you. That means oppression shall not have dominion over you. And that means sickness shall not have dominion over you. What, 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 where did sickness come from? Sickness is the, is, the, is the disgusting child born of its father, the devil, and its mother, sin. That's where sickness came from. That's, where it, that's how it got into the earth. It was through man's disobedience. We've been redeemed from all of that. Sin will not have dominion over me. Sin shall not have. The devil shall not have sickness shall not have oppression shall not have dominion over me lack and failure and discouragement and despair and depression shall not have dominion over me when you see this it's the end of all of those things in your life you'll rise up and say no nope, you've done that before but you're not doing this now i know what belongs to me i I was there with Christ. I died with him. I was buried with him. I was made alive with him. I was raised up together with him. Glory to God. And we're gonna see a little later. I was seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And no, you don't. I'm not I'm not taking the cold, I'm not taking the flu, I'm not taking despair, I'm not taking anger, I'm not taking I'm not taking it, I'm not taking oppression against my mind, against my body, in my family. I'm just not taking it anymore because I have been delivered. Now, 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 it's good to shout about it, and, and, and I appreciate that. That makes a preacher just preach better, you know, shouting and agreeing. But I'm telling you, it'll work when you take it home and it's real in your life. When it becomes real in your life, it's more than a shout in church. It's something you do on Saturday at 10 p.m. or Tuesday at 5 a.m. whenever the enemy comes against you and you're not around the Christians and you're not in an exciting service. You're able to stand up and say, no, sir, I know what belongs to me, and I'm not taking this. And it's not just a matter of 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 of, of, of being just bellicose and, and and being all excited about something. You act from a position that you know, that you know, that you know. You know what belongs to you. And see, this is the wisdom God is wanting to get across getting, wanting to get across to the church so that we can fulfill our assignment. The church can't do its job as long as, as nine-tenths of the church is in bondage all the time. More than that, probably. In bondage to this, in bondage to that. He wants us to arise up and realize who we are and what belongs to us and what Jesus has actually done for us. Where we are, what we have, And see the devil for who he is. A cringing, pitiful, defeated, dethroned individual who only rules people by deception. It's the only way he keeps people in bondage is by deception. And when you see the truth, you'll you'll be free from that deception. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. Woo, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We have absolute, you have absolute victory over the devil. Absolute victory. Well, Pastor, that sounds really good. I sure wish it was so. Stay with it. Just keep reading these scriptures we went over this morning. Meditate on them. Feed on them. Pray in the spirit. Ask God to show you, to reveal these things to you. Glory to God. When they go off, when they go off on the inside of you, when, they, when you see it, glory to God, you'll rise up. You'll rise up. Life will be different. I'm telling you, life will be different. Whew. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Let's stand up. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Well, I got to one scripture I wanted to get to today, Colossians 2.15. <laughs> praise the Lord. Like I said, it'd be better to fully understand all this if you'd listen, particularly the last two Sundays where I've really focused in on this, the last two Sundays. Go back and listen to those. And today, and listen to it again. Feed on it. Glory to God. God's wanting to take us. When I say God, you know, God's wanting to to take us further. It's not that we're waiting on him. He's waiting on us. He's waiting on us to be hungry enough, to press in enough, You know, Jesus said, for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. To him who knocks, it shall be opened. Sometimes Christians just stop at the asking but they don't seek to go any, any deeper. They don't seek to know more. They don't keep knocking until the, every door is open. And it's, not a, it's not a matter of God has doors closed. It, it's that importunity where you just will not take no for an answer. Now, God's not telling you no, but, but the enemy's trying to keep you out. The enemy's trying to keep us out of these things. He's trying to keep us discouraged. He's trying to keep us confused. He tries to keep us running down you know, rabbit trails and, and dealing with things. And we need to understand what the Bible says and, and stay following the Holy Ghost and let the Spirit of God take us to victory. Because God is, everything's open where God's concerned. He's just saying, come on, come on, come on. But we have to be willing to press through some things. Amen. Get past the, the, the confusion and the, and the decoys the devil tries to, to put in our way. Keep us distracted and we fighting people and offended over this and, and just, you know, all traditions of men and doctrines of men, all this kind of stuff. He said, no, stay with the Bible. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you today for your goodness. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching.